Hi, everybody. This is Chris Carter, Executive Director at the Bankhead Theater. And today I am talking to Cleo Parker Robinson, the founder of the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Ensemble. And they will be here on Thursday, February 9th at 730 with a performance titled Four Journeys. You can go online and buy tickets at livermorearts.org. And we're very happy now to have Cleo with us today. I'm, I'm so pleased that you're with us. Um, and we're really looking forward to the uh, performance uh, next week. So very yes, happy to I be presenting. Believe, can't believe we'll be there. I hope I hope you have some sunshine because I came back from Toronto this morning like at two and it was below zero and worse than Toronto. I was like, wait, I need warm weather. It's, anyway. it's sunny. It's a little cold out today, but it's definitely sunny. So hopefully it'll stay that way. Well, we're thrilled to get there. I can't believe we'll be there so soon. So this is terrific. Well, why we've we... never been there. So this is going to be a treat. It's a great space. I, I think you'll really like it. Um, maybe we should start with a, an introduction uh, for about the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Ensemble uh, for our audience so they get to know you a little bit. And right. uh, you had kind of a big milestone a few years ago, um, the 50th anniversary. And so um, can you talk a little bit about the origins of uh, the Cleo Parker Robinson dance? Well, I'd love to, you know, um, <clears throat> we started uh, in 1970 uh, when I became the uh, artistic director of the Model Cities dance program. And then I became the interim director of the Model Cities Cultural Center here in Denver. And it comes out of, uh, the wonderful 60s, 70s, um, all the different movements, the Black arts movement definitely around the country that had such an impact on communities of color and all over, I mean, all over the world. And so here we were in Denver. I was born and raised, but I I was um, born to, my father was an actor, um, the first Black actor in Denver at the Bomb Feast Theater uh, that now is the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. And my mother, was a French horn player with the San Diego Symphony, like as an apprentice at the age of 12. So she loved music. They both were wonderful musicians that loved, loved music. And so I was the first child of four. And then later um, our, our family grew and now we have 11, we have 11 children. So I, I keep wow. I'm, um, yeah. So I have a brother that lives in Los Angeles, uh, Maurice, uh, Parker Warfield, who um, worked for Michael Jackson for about 25 years. And so we have this California-Denver connection, but I'd uh -huh. never met him until I was about about 16. But I started, um, you know, I was born in Five Points in Denver. So that's a historic district, a little bit like LA, like Watts yeah. or like Harlem. And it was wonderful because I was born in a hotel that had a, a phenomenal artists that would come in and uh Duke Ellington and Cab Calloway and wow. show. So I was I was exposed in Denver to the these amazing artists, but it was also during the Jim Crow laws. So there was tremendous segregation. And I then uh, moved to Dallas when I was about 10. So between 10 and 12 I became very ill and um the doctor said I would never, I mean, I wouldn't live, but I wouldn't walk again. And I think just that, that idea of no movement as a child was one that inspired me to move. 
Wow. So, yeah. So I started um, early teaching dance. I had teachers that were um, really wonderful that wanted to make sure that I was exposed to, you know, all kinds of cultures and dance and so on. So start teaching really young. And that was that was um, that that kind of saved my life, really. Um, But I had a I had a bad heart. And so uh, I was worried about dancing. But it was um, it was really when I became uh, that opportunity to create a dance company when I was 21. That was that was it. So from then on, uh, I became incorporated and I had my husband who I had met when I was 12. So Tom Robinson was right there. He was an athlete. So he knew that I was an athlete. Yeah. I loved, I loved the arts. And you were 21. That seems so young to me. I, was it hard at the time? Did, were you, did you feel like, did you have a lot of confidence that this was going to work out for you? Or what, what was, what were you feeling when you got it going? I, I never thought about any of that. I never, I think I was so driven um, to see people come together. Yeah, I, that's all I thought about. I, I just knew that when people were dancing and when they were singing, they were the best part of who they were. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I loved. Uh, and I had seen lots of really um, tragic things early in my life. So um, seeing people in their highest place was really wonderful. Yeah. And so and, and being able to bring people together, I never thought about having courage or if I was doing something innovative or I knew no one else was doing it. Yeah. So I knew, I, I always thought I was a little crazy, a little, I always thought, okay, I'm out here doing things that nobody else is doing. Uh, but I had a, a wonderful family, you know, really. And I think starting to really teach at 16 and I was teaching college level at that time. So I had a, a, a amazing teachers that passed on their information to me. So I I never felt um I never felt like I was really ready, but I was always getting ready. I think I'm still after 52 years of the company, I'm still getting ready. Because <laughs> the pandemic really taught us, you know, yeah. there's no there's no comfort zone in this. No. Well and it strikes me between your your father as the actor and your mother as a musician and you as the dancer. It was a triple threat as, as far as your family went. And you, you had yeah. everything in the makings of uh, uh, bringing you to where you are. So I, that's a really uh, great to know the background. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so 50 years later, uh, you have, you're inspired to um, work on this new project called The Four Journeys. And yes. uh, The Four Journeys is the one that's coming to uh, the Banquet Theater on February 9th, Thursday, February 9th. Um, can you uh, tell me a little bit about, and I, by the way, I saw this film uh, documentary about the making of the four journeys oh, and it was uh, really fascinating. The timing was insane. It, it must've been <laughs> so crazy uh, for you all, but um, what, why don't we just start? What, what was the inspiration for four journeys and, and tell me a little bit about the, the performance? Yes. Well, it's just, it's a beautiful work. And it does have all kinds of layers. Um, we had a chance to work uh, with Viviana Basanta, who was really the daughter of the founder of the national company uh, out of Mexico. 
And we worked with her a year before on a work, uh, La Mulata. And she was very interested. Uh, this was our second choreographer out of Mexico. Uh, and um, second choreographer who was very interested in the different, the, um, the intersection of cultures and how do we, how do we constantly tell our story and give different perspectives. Most of the time, um, young people, when they're studying history, they don't get that kind of complexity. Everything seems to be really kind of monolithic. It's just like that. And it doesn't have all of those wonderful uh, edges. So I think she was interested in telling the story of how the influence in Mexico is influenced by all of these cultures, Africa. Mm -hmm. Europe, Asia, the indigenous culture. And she wanted that story told. Uh, and she wanted it on our company because she knew that, um, you know, we had already been to Mexico. I had already worked with her with La Mulata. And uh, she brought in a, a wonderful composer and costumers and people who were designing. And all of a sudden, while we were in the middle of the pandemic everything kind of stopped and so here we were thinking we could quickly premiere it and bring it to Denver and have it at the Ellie uh, Opera House everything kind of just stopped and right. so we yeah it was weird so I you didn't had, know you had one we, rehearsal didn't know where it was going to go I think the documentary shares a little bit of that insight like how are we going to do this yeah and you had to rehearse through Zoom and ah, the, the dancers had to wear masks. And I, it, it was I can't crazy. imagine. It was crazy. But I think we were blessed to have the project because yeah. it kept us focused. I, I mean, we had like eye on the prize. You had to just stay right there. Like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. We don't know when we're going to do it. But somehow, you know, just everybody that wonderful commitment everyone had together. And it kept us, it kept us um, aware that we really were, even we were miles and miles apart, that we were really connected. And it, 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 it kind of kept us in that mindset that even though um, we're not sure how we're gonna do this, I think when the filmmakers came and they were filming and here we were trying to find out if we could what can we do constructive during this crazy period? So we thought we would rebuild our stage. <laughs> well, let, nobody can come into the theater, so let's rebuild our, our theater. So we, we began to rebuild the stage, and that was really wonderful. Um, yeah. yeah. And but, there was but somebody... Viviana finally got to Denver, and, 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 finally, and she was so happy to be with the dancers. Uh, yeah. but, but working with the, the the language barrier a little bit, although I think that the dance is a universal language, and so we were able to to use that. It was wonderful. One of the dancers in the documentary said, "Rehearsing on Zoom kind of forced him to slow down." And mm. so I don't know. Did you learn anything, or did it? <laughs> what did you guys grow out of it, or did did y'all? I don't know. What what did it do for you? <laughs> Well, Any positive outcomes. I, I think it for me, it pushed my limits. I mean, I some days I did I had no idea how I was really going to 
be productive. I just, yeah. at one point I just said, I, never in my life of 50 years or 60, I was, I've been dancing, you know, in my life. And I always knew dancers need a physical connection. We need that. Uh, and we provide that for children and our, mm. our, our communities, wherever we go. And not to have that was surreal to me. It was very surreal. Uh, almost like not eating, you know, like how are we going to do this if we don't eat? It's like, yeah. will we survive, you know? It really was that 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 surreal. And I think there were, you know, people in our office, like I think Malik, my son, who's our executive director, would work with the staff and they would just every day say, okay, you have a podcast. And I said, I have a what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and so, you know, then, then I began to just try to say, well, I'm going to learn a lot and I'm going to open up uh, because it was really against my nature. I was yeah. almost... I was almost rebellious. <laughs> I was like, I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, and then when I, I was choreographing and I was choreographing a new work for the dancers, but not new to me. And I knew what it should look like and sound like. Now, when you do a new work and you don't know what it looks like or sounds like, that's different. But when you have a, a work that's in your rep um, and you know what it looks like, it just never looked right. I just said, forget about it. Let's just create new work. So it, it because the timing of Zoom was off, so you could never find the real timing of dancers. And if they didn't have rhythm that was making me angry, I was like, they no, where's the rhythm? Where's the connection? And if they were to partner, let's just say, even in four journeys, there's relationships that have to happen. Um, like when she's being captured and she's being tortured, you there's there's a syn synergy that has to happen, yeah. and um, it just wasn't happening. So we, I think we came out of it pretty pretty good. Wow, <laughs> I'm impressed with everyone. I mean, we had uh, Trey Grimes who began to kind of help me with video. So what it did do though, Chris, is that it took me to my core. And I think it also took me to my work that I've done over years. So I had to study. I had to study me. I guess when, when the dancers study had to slow down, that was kind of good. We were not slowing down. We had a, we had a, I don't know how many, 15 city tour to China, like the following couple of weeks. And I was to be in Senegal the day before the panda pandemic you know, pandemic. So I was, we were, we, we needed to slow down. Yeah. We needed to slow down and mm -hmm. we needed to study ourselves and study why we were doing what we were doing. Can you talk about that? And maybe, um, your, what's your creative process even? I'm, I'm always fascinated. Like I I'm, I'm a musician and I like, I like to write music, but Oh. As far as dance goes, I, I I'm not very visual. So how do you how do you start with that, and what's your process? Well, you know, I I think there anymore. There's so there's so many YouTubes and all kinds of material that's out there. So what I did do is that I um I just tried to listen to the ancestors. Mm -hmm. I just tried to listen 
to those who, two, one, inspired me, but two, faced tremendous obstacles and try to understand how did they get through it. And, um, and then realize that whatever obstacles that we were facing, we too would get through this. That was, that's the way I thought about it. But I looked at um, the work and how, how it has influenced my work. So I would look at, um, I, I mean, I, I didn't choose it. It was so, sometimes it would choose me. All of a sudden I'd be looking at something and then I'd go, well, what is that? And then I'd say, mm. oh, well, that is blah, blah, blah. That's, that's Tally Beatty. And Tally choreographed the last work before he passed on my company. And he worked with Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington created a lot of his choreography. Um, all of it, his music was created along with, with um, Tally Beatty. And so I then began to think about, well, Tally worked with Catherine Dunham. Let me look at Miss Dunham's work. So it almost was like little bread crumbs that would take me from one place to the other. And I would look at the movement and um, realize that it was in, in my body. The movement was there. And I, all I had to do is begin to um, claim it and try to pull it out of the dancers. So mm. that's what I did in Toronto last uh, two nights ago in Toronto. I did a work called Standing on the Shoulders. And what I loved about it is that, you know, oftentimes when we're influenced by someone else, and maybe you as a composer, you, you know, you never want to imitate ever, but we're always influenced and inspired yes. by. And so I, I, I found it fascinating that whatever I did, it was clearly someone else could see where it came from, the root. Mm -hmm. And then I went, fabulous. That I, wa I wanted that. I wanted that connection, that it was, wasn't just me. It was that that's been passed on. Yeah. Well, and you kind of said how it was in you and it's coming, you know, it has to just come out. And that's like, um, I talked to Chris Brubeck, Dave Brubeck's son, oh, a while wow. ago. And he, so he kind of said the same thing. He said, it's all up in here. And it's just waiting to come out. And <laughs> I just have to let it come out sometimes. Um, so, right. Okay. It sounds similar then. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's there. Uh, yeah. And, but you know what? For me, it's a scary process every time. I mean, every time. You don't know. You really don't know. Yeah. And then it's almost like Pandora's box and there's way too much. It's like, <laughs> okay, wait, hold it. Hold it. Just That's just way too much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's overflow then. Um, and I think that's uh, what maybe what we learned together about um, isolation and reflection and thinking about what 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 we value um, and what we value as human beings. You know how we bring different perspectives and where our our, our cultures are transitioning all the time. And, um, gender, race, culture, religion, all of those things that we look at that influence us. Uh, but it's very, very exciting. And I, oh. I want young people to be um, curious. I want them to be hungry. Because I think that's what I was. And I had much less than what these young people have. 
they have yeah. all kinds of access to all kinds of things. Um, but maybe that that idea that um, my mother and father, even though we were exposed, they made sure we turned off the television, that we read, that we listened to each other around the table, uh, that we heard our successes and our failures or our challenges, uh, that we can build that connection of that, you know, we don't all, uh, some days are not good days for us and you should be able to talk about that or sing about it or dance about it, you know. Well, in this particular piece, it, it was a collaborative process, right? And so can you talk about the importance of collaboration? And, and you know, this one is kind of a celebration of different cultures and and why is that especially important now that we should be really focusing on that? Well, I think uh, collaborations are just the, the best. I think we all we all grow and we discover uh, so much about each other, but about ourselves. Um, and we don't even know that interconnectedness until we are really deep in something together. Uh, and that, that's what happened with our our wonderful collaboration um, with Viviana. We, we realized as we felt like family. We, when we met, we met in um, Mexico City and I wasn't speaking Spanish. She wasn't speaking English. And we met at a Starbucks in Mexico City. <laughs> we sat down and began to try to talk about what it was that we wanted to do. But more than that, we talked about how her mother was influenced by Catherine Dunham and how what what that meant to her to be able to go to Alvin Ailey's studio in New York for the first time and to really see that technique. And then I said, well, that's what I did at 19. I went, we realized our journeys were absolutely um, almost like destinies that we would come together like that. So after that, we fell in love. Mm -hmm. She says, well, you're teaching my, you're teaching my dancers. And I'm thinking, I'm what? So I, I came, I came and she had um, the huge company, which has hundreds of dancers and musicians because it's a national company, but she also had a smaller company. And when I went to teach the smaller company, I realized we had just sent one of our dancers who'd been working with us to that company. And he was the first um, Mexican-American to be able to join the company and then later tour with the company and be given the role of the, the deer dance, which is usually done only by uh, um, a dancer out of, out of Mexico. Yeah. And um, so I just felt like, oh, that's my child. He's right up in here taking class. And there's something that, that unites us so quickly that I love. And so mm -hmm. everything else, when you're exploring ideas, it's not personal at all. I mean, you may have some ideas that, that don't quite, I remember when we were working on the African section because that was important for her. And I kept going, mm, I don't, I don't hear it. I don't feel it. And she would be, she wanted my input. And I'd say, but you know, it's, it's, I need a djembe. I don't want a combo. I don't, I don't want a, um, 
you don't want timbales. You you want a djembe. You want something out of West Africa. It also depends upon what part of Africa we're hearing. And so she was quite open to that. And um, it, it was wonderful, even with the costume designers as they would work with, with our designer, um, the kind of fabric, the kind of research that would come out of Asia mm-hmm. and, and its influence on, um, on, on Mexico and, yeah. and the, the layers of um, lace and design. It was way fun. And then we had our, our lighting designers come together. So then our designer uh, couldn't get in from Japan. And he got stuck during the pandemic in Singapore. So there he was designing the work and he could never see it. Mm-hmm. So when we got when we got his images, we were like, uh, wait just a minute. Japan is way in another place, technically. And so we could feel that. And so we were like, that one, that one doesn't feel African to me. It doesn't feel Asian to me. It doesn't feel it was. He was way futuristic. So Mm -hmm. we have all these different layers that took place because of where we were and how we could work together. So that, that was fascinating. So this, this production is there's, there's dance, there's music, there's art, it's multimedia. You use the costume you talked about. Uh, It's telling stories. Um, Anything else we can expect from this particular performance? Oh, yeah, we're going to do some other works. Um, I think that we're going to do a work that we just premiered, that we've only done maybe once, once. Um, Robert Moses out of San Francisco, and he's brilliant. And I, I forgot because we only premiered it and didn't look at it again. I saw it the other day, and it's beautiful. It's it's really beautiful. The language that he uses, um, you can tell, I mean, we use many East Coast choreographers, but when you have the opposite side, and I'm in the middle of the country, but when you see the influences are very different um, and how he worked with the dancers Mm -hmm. was very different. Of course, at that time, his father-in-law was passing and my husband was passing at the time we were creating it so when I look at the work I see that journey in it and then I realized that it helped us heal because I could barely be with him I had to be at the hospital the whole time yeah and um and so the the work is painful for me to watch but it's also healing um because it's we were able to be creative in a time of true pain. And I think that's really that's something extraordinary about the human condition that we can do that. And then another piece we're going to do is Elantonia, and that's wow. Tally Baby's last work. And that one is fantastic. Wow. Uh, and then I'm going to do I'm going to do either a solo or a duet. I did a solo, everything must change. Um, on my company in the 70s. And I wanted to bring something back that was rooted in our beginnings. And then I um, I changed, I then I created it as a duet 
at the at UMKC in mm -hmm. Kansas City um, as a duet. So I'll decide whether I want to do the solo or the duet. Um, but both of them are are everything must change, and it's it's about um, being resilient. How do we change? Um, so I'm I'm excited. Uh, the four, four, and six is Robert Moses's piece, but you'll love it. Oh, yes, it's really beautiful, and the dancers are so excited about doing the new work. But they're excited about being there with you. Now, the, tell me about the the theater. It's named Bankhead. It's the the, the Bankhead I mean, Theater. Bankhead. Yep. Yeah. Is it uh, is it uh, Tallulah Bankhead? Well, uh, there's there is a distant relation to Tallulah Bankhead. Yes. Uh, okay. So that's very that's very astute of you to to pick up on that. Um, the theater is only about 15 years old, um, and it's it's named for a family out here who is related to Tallulah. Oh, uh, wonderful! Yeah, we we are the ghost in the theater is named Tallulah the Bankhead Ghost. Uh, wonderful! Just... <laughs> no, you're kidding. I love it. We have ghosts in ours. So I grew up with um, with with Tallulah Bankhead uh, with her whole history. I grew up. My father was the first person of color hired in the theater. Mm. And it was Don Sewell was married to Eugenia Rawls, who did Tallulah Bankhead's work. Mm. She was in she was in little boxes with her. So um that's how I grew up in the theater. I started okay. in the theater there with with her. So we always knew about Tallulah Bankhead. So that'll <laughs> be fun. I will be speaking to her in spirit. <laughs> oh good. Um <laughs> and by the way we're we're proud to be presenting this during Black History Month, but um, do you just want to talk about how important it is to, uh, to present artists of color, not just during February, but throughout the whole year, oh. and, um, wh why it's so important? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know. Our country is very, very interesting because we have a lot of, um, we, we, we're, we're more diverse and complex than most most of the time that we show ourselves. And so I think we figured out an easy way to get get to it and have certain months that we can focus on different cultures. But I think that that's sort of a challenge because I think we should be looking at each other holistically all the time, yeah, all the time. you know, um and and that isn't an easy fix to just put everything into one month. Yep. You know, um, Cinco de Mayo or Women's Month or whatever. Uh, but the Black History Month, uh, we, we, we're we always happy to be working. But usually it's like we are overworking in February and we go, <laughs> and there are 11 more months to work. Right. And, um, but I mean, so we know we know that that's a little wild. But to be able to to see the how beautiful our world is all the time and the contribution um, that we've made um, and, and people of all backgrounds, the contribution that people make to make it what it is, is really important. Yeah. And I think that Black History Month allows us to do that. Yesterday I was at lunch in Toronto and um, oh, I don't know if you know um, Charmaine Jefferson, Charmaine. I don't know if you know Charmaine Jefferson. Yes, there's. But anyway, she brought me a present, mm -hmm. and it was a it was a book about black women, um, in the arts. And I was in the book with 
This is from in 1995. Mm -hmm. And that was when Carnation decided, Carnation Milk decided to celebrate um, Black women in the arts in the country. And it was just really, really something. Um, uh, and Charmaine brought me this. She said, Cleo, it's just, I was in my garage and this dropped out and you've got to see it. And it was, it was wonderful. And so I thought, well, that, that, that's a marvelous thing to be able to look at it and to see that I was honored with, of course, at that time, Vanessa Williams was Miss America mm -hmm. and she got, de she got dethroned. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. that was a fiasco. Um, but, She's performed but, uh, here. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, we had a wonderful time together. She's great. And, oh, she, she's wonderful. So Suzette Charles was then Miss America. So mm -hmm. another a Black woman who was Miss America. And for, for people to see, I think the media is really our best friend. And also, really, it, it can, can be very difficult. Because like I was with these young kids from Memphis yesterday. And for me to see on the news the whole time about the murder of this young man by four black police officers. Um, we see it all the time. We see really tragedy. And so if we began to just get conditioned to think about um, black men as being a threat in our country, it's a, it's, a, it's a real challenge. So we have to see, we have to see people in all of these different dimensions. And so I think that's the important part about um, the the Black Lives Matter, all of all of those different kinds of um, movements, the civil rights. I came out of the civil rights movement, um, and what we endured to change this country and to have an influence in the rest of the world is very important. But there are still people who come to our country and treat people who are of African uh, of the African diaspora badly just because they've seen it on television. Or they, you know, so we have to constantly um, battle um, what these images are and what these scenarios are. So we have to create our own uh, stories. And I think our stories are very important. So I thank you for bringing this during this time. And I, and I, I thank you for presenting across the board. I think it's important, but it is a challenge because many, uh, I remember booking agents would say, Oh, Cleo, you know, we already have one black company. And mm. so um, they don't sell. Oh, you see, infuriate me. I'm thinking, how dare you? I mean, that, how insulting is that? <laughs> how small minded is that? And who's going to change that? Who changes it if we don't have the courage and the foresight to, to change that? So, and I went and we opened the Opera House in Denver. We were the first company to open the Opera House. And we were the first one to do Aida and Firebird and Cinderella and all of it. And we keep these other legacies of Europe alive. We, we Shostakovich, Beethoven, Bach. Why are we not keeping all of the composers and all of the dancers alive all of the time? Yeah. That's the way I see it. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. And we're definitely happy and proud to be presenting uh, the Cleo Parker Robinson Dance Ensemble uh, on February 9th at 7.30. And oh, uh, yeah, you can get tickets online at livermorearts.org. And uh, I think we're done. But thank you, Cleo. Thank you, Chris. I thank you for bringing this. I can't wait to see you all. Yep, me too.